Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and there's more to left-hand brewing than just nitro stout. And the new head brewer, Gary Glass, is here to explain while he takes us on a journey from his home brewing beginnings and advocacy to his first professional brewing job. But first, All About Beer is back online and producing original content for beer enthusiasts and professionals. Visit allaboutbeer.com to see the latest. And if you want to support us in that endeavor, we've set up a Patreon for both readers and professional companies in the beer space. Check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to learn more. We're able to bring you this show each week thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. Learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates by emailing sponsor at beeredge.com. Speaking of that, today's episode is sponsored by the Harpoon Brewery. Did you know that Harpoon IPA is New England's original IPA? Brewed in Boston and Vermont for decades by their employee owners. Hoppy, crisp, and perfectly balanced. Harpoon IPA, New England's original IPA. Visit harpoonbrewery.com to learn more. Gary Glass was entrenched in the world of home brewing. What began as a hobby soon turned into a career where he spent 20 years at the Brewers Association, including a long stint as the director of the American Home Brewers Association. When COVID-19 struck and the Brewers Association laid off a significant portion of its staff, Gary was included in that group. And he pondered what he would do next. He wanted to stay involved in the brewing industry and thought about doing sales, But an opportunity presented itself at Left Hand Brewing, the venerable Colorado brewery that has cornered the craft market on Nitro Stout. It wasn't far from his house, and Gary was able to begin as a brewer, his first professional brewing job in beer. And over the last two years, he's proven himself working hard and learning processes. And earlier this summer, that work was rewarded as he was named the head brewer. From starting off on malt extract to now running logistics on hundreds of barrels at a time, it's been quite the journey, and we'll start at the beginning. Here's our conversation. Do you remember your very first homebrew recipe? Oh, I, I remember the very first homebrew I brewed. Uh, okay. Yeah. I was, well, uh, let's start there. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, this was back in, uh, I think. I'm pretty certain it was 1993, but it could have been late 92. I I really wasn't anticipating my career path in the brewing world, so I wasn't taking good notes at the time. But uh, I I started with a a malt extract can. Classic. Uh, It was was, yeah, it was like a hopped extract kit for a brown ale, and (laughs) yeah, I mean the can itself was probably like a little more than a quart, and I. I brewed it into a pot that was far too small and had a massive boil over and <laughs> still managed to get some some sugar and mix it with water in a bucket and add the dried yeast and it it fermented. <laughs> it wasn't great, but yeah, I, I definitely remember that. I don't that. know anybody. And 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 you obviously have talked to more home brewers than I have, but have you ever met a home brewer who was being completely honest when they said my first batch of homebrew was awesome. Have you ever met somebody who said that? I don't think so. I, I, I may have, but uh, that I, I, I don't recall having that conversation. And now that you say it, yeah. I probably would recall that because yeah, probably think they're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's why I said they believe it with honesty that their first was, was really good. But I imagine that if you put it through the paces, um, yeah, I've never met anybody who thought that their first batch was ready for prime time or competition or even a second pint. <laughs> I second pint, I think is probably more common. I think a, a lot of homebrewers come out with the, with pretty good beers the first time around, but not great. It's- there's just so much to know and so much to learn. So that first time out, it's it's pretty hot, tough to be coming out with uh, with competition worthy beer. As you started then, after your your extract brown ale, and I mean, again ninety two ninety three using extract malt was not uncommon. I mean, it, it, the advancements yeah. in what's available for ingredients now is pretty mind boggling. Oh yeah, and brewing, years later, brewing all grain was really uncommon back then. So, I, I didn't know anybody who was brewing with all grain, and 
all the homebrew shops were geared towards extract brewers back back then. So it probably wasn't until like maybe the the middle of the last decade that uh, all grain really started taking off. Yeah. When when you really got into it, then when you said, "Okay, the, this brown ale is done. I'm going to make more," and you're going to you, know, you went off on your 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 home brewing journey. Were there aspects of it that you found yourself drawn to more than others? Uh, yeah, I mean, back then it was I. I was drawn to brewing styles that just weren't around. Cause I mean, back in the, the early nineties, there just wasn't a whole lot of craft beer around. Um, and, and imports were, were fairly limited. So the idea of brewing an IPA was you know, there, there weren't really any that I knew of, or, I mean, I guess anchor Liberty would have been around. I probably could have gotten that, but, um, the beer selection at, you know, at the, in the store back then was, was very limited. So I was drawn to being able to brew all these styles that I had never tried before. But that you had been reading about, I mean, you were, you were beer curious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was already into, uh, into beer and had, you know, sample. I, I was fortunate. I grew up in, in California. And so there, even back in the early nineties, there were still, a, there, there were already a, a good number of craft breweries around and, in San Luis Obispo, where I went to to college, there was a there was a brew pub there. So I had experienced some some craft beer, but by the time I had I started homebrewing, but uh, but it was yeah pretty limited. It was mostly like amber ales and Sierra Nevada pale ale, Sam Adams Boston Lager, not uh, Pete's Wicked Ale. Sure, not, not a whole lot beyond that. All of the classics, yeah. So it was being drawn to. Classic styles that were just not commonly available. Yeah, I mean, any style that wasn't sure. commonly available. Uh, How have you? So, you obviously continued on your home brewing path, and then uh, began working as a homebrew advocate professionally uh, through the Brewers Association. Um, where did you see? the trajectory or in, in homebrew over the last 30 years, you know, from where you started to, to maybe where it was at the beginning of the pandemic of where people were putting their, their, their style focus. Uh, style focus. Um, I think, you know, it probably in those, uh, those earlier days for me, I started at the, the Brewers Association uh, in 2000. Probably more, uh, more like dark beers, stouts, and porters would have been uh, more common. Belgians were probably uh, another one, and and again, this was probably still a matter of, um, uh, of brewing, brewing things that weren't readily available, or that you know may, maybe you could have, get a few samples of, from imports, and then. You know, it wasn't until like the later 2000s uh, that uh, that IPAs really started to take off. And yeah, then that became kind of dominant. And somewhere in there, uh, you know, wood and barrel aging became a, a, a really big thing. Um, and then you know, more recently, probably uh, like some sour, sour beers. But, you know, IPA is is definitely top. And, and, and actually, uh, thinking about it, one of the, one of the common factors in looking at entries in national homebrew competition, uh, the experimental categories, specialty beers and, and experimental were always some of the top categories in the competition. So I think that, you know, beyond brewing specific styles, brewing things uh, that, don't adhere to any particular style has been kind of a common theme throughout for for homebrewing. Yeah, and that that was sort of I, I that was a, a poorly phrased question to sort of get to that because even when I started writing about beer, 
I always wanted to know the homebrew community, even though I was never a homebrewer um, or you know a successful homebrewer, um, because I found that the experimentation that was happening on the homebrew level, even from the very earliest days, if you you know or you know forty years ago, forty five years ago, um, was starting to inform the professional brewing industry. You know, as people would go pro or um, homebrewers would develop revive classic recipes or develop new ones um it would really help sort of push the professional industry forward and the experimentation part of it was always the ones that i was most intrigued about i mean there's some really gross beers that people put in front of me but then there's also some you know really beautiful and 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 you know fun and inspirational beers that that homebrewers brought creativity wise and i guess you know would we be where we are with the U.S. brewing scene if home brewing hadn't been, I don't know, as strong as it was? No, no, I, I, I don't. I can't picture what we have today in, in craft brewing without home brewing, because from the start, it really was home brewing that was that was driving it. Uh, and it, it may have enough momentum now that you know without homebrewers it would be able to maintain, but I doubt it. Uh, with, without without uh, without homebrewers looking constantly looking for something new and trying new things and being leaders amongst craft beer connoisseurs. Um, I, I I don't see craft brewing being what it is without that community, and I I, I think we would be in big trouble if it uh, if it goes away. What was the state of home brewing when the pandemic hit us in the beginning of 2020? Because uh, you were I, the director I, of the AHA, like you knew, you know, you had your finger on the pulse of everything, right? Like, you know, like pandemic aside, and you know. <laughs> debilitating and deadly disease aside um what was 2020 looking like homebrew wise i i think we had kind of seen a we had seen a period of very rapid growth and that that rapid growth had had ebbed so kind of a bit of a plateau uh and and perhaps a little bit of a, a drop off um so i i i don't think it was quite as a it, it just it wasn't growing at the level that it was um, back in like around 2007, 2008. It was it was really taking off and and became a a, a much bigger thing in this country than it than it had been, um, and it's it still is. It's maintained that that level to my knowledge, um, but we did see it wasn't really growing so much as it had been it had pretty much leveled off um, shortly before the pandemic. Could, could you attribute that to just the availability of small batch beer, like done on the, you know, quote unquote professional scale? Yes. Yeah. I think when, when we started getting the, the hyper local craft beer uh, and people would have multiple breweries in their, in their, own communities, uh, I, I think that really created somewhat of a disincentive to brew, um, and some of it, it, it really took out the most experienced, most passionate homebrewers because those are the people who are opening breweries. Go from having fewer than a thousand breweries to to over what nine thousand breweries in the span of just over fifteen years. Yeah. Um, when you would get well let me ask you what was the uh, a frequent question if not the most frequent question that you would get from home brewers who were thinking about going pro because you know the ba obviously had you know a, a foot in home brewing but also a, a a foot in professional brewing uh in in those two worlds would you get questions from people asking about the jump uh about opening a brewery or about yeah yeah um 
and I remember I would get a lot of questions about people who were thinking about uh, opening like a, a a brew on premises where people would come in and, and <laughs> oh man, um, I remember I, those. Yeah, yeah, and it for some reason it sounds like a good idea to some people, but uh, it's it's really hard to hard to execute. And so I I, I spent a lot of time talking to people about that and why it wasn't a big thing <laughs> yeah trying to dissuade people from yeah yeah trying not to be discouraging but also provide all the information they need to know to make a very informed decision um, wow yeah there is a whole bunch of them um at least out here on the east coast I, I don't know about the but jersey had one for a while and there was a uh i think there's a chain of them in massachusetts at some point if i'm if i'm remembering correctly um, but yeah, those were, those were big for a while of the, uh, uh, come in and homebrew on our system and mm -hmm. do it for a bachelor party or things like that. But it never, yeah, it never struck me as an idea that people would do twice. That was the problem. <laughs> it's something you would do for, you know, like a bachelor party or, yeah. you know, you're going to brew something for a wedding or for some, some particular event, but probably not something that you're going to do on a regular basis um because if you're going to if you start doing it on a regular basis you quickly figure out that you can do it yourself at home yeah. a lot cheaper <laughs> i'm just i'm remembering going to a friend's wedding circa 2003 2005 something somewhere in there where they had done that where um he and his brothers had gone to a place or they had yeah and they had home brewed for the wedding and it was clearly infected and uh, it was just <laughs> one of those things where everybody's trying to be nice because it was his day but uh, the more i remember like leaving the dance floor at some point and looking at the tables and there's all these 12 ounce brown bottles um you know with the couple's picture on an inkjet printer um and all the bottles were open but full um <laughs> and everybody was drinking cocktails um you know Ouch. i'm not you know yeah <laughs> anyway i'm sure that they're still happily married i haven't talked to them in a couple of years um but aside from people wanting to open up a brew on premise were there were there other because you were the guy for 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 a while with home brewing you know that that people wanted to wanted to hear from so like, what advice were people looking for uh you know i think i think i think honestly for, I, I i can't recall any specific conversations with people about you know wanting to to open a i mean i certainly had conversations with people who were talking about opening brewery but not necessarily asking me for advice mm -hmm. i think far too often people are convinced that they know exactly what they're doing and like oh my beer is great and i'm would would there be unsolicited advice that you would give people who who had that that attitude or that uh, that thought process? Uh, yeah, I would. It would certainly be to uh, to look into starting uh, look into a business plan um, and understand what um, what is involved in running a brewery and 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 quickly point out that if you're starting a brewery because you really like brewing you shouldn't start a brewery because as a brewery owner you're probably not going to be doing the brewing for very long yeah quickly to determine that you know to lay, your labor costs something or it should you should be paying yourself for your for your time and if you're not then um you, you probably are going to burn out very quickly most brewery owners that I know and are spending a lot of time dealing with the with their books and employees and broken equipment and all those fun things that you get to do when you own the business. Yeah. Um. So during the pandemic, um, the BA made changes, let people go. Um, I think to the great shock of a lot of people, um, you were one of them. Um, and I, I know I was personally surprised because I was thinking, okay, people are going to be locked in their house. They're going to be home now. Um, 
homebrewing might have a renaissance. I, I, I don't know if it did or not, but I was, you know, that was my thought process. Um, but happily, and I hope it's happily, um, you landed up the street or not too far away at left hand. Yeah. I actually cut down on my commute time significantly because I, I live about a mile from, uh, from left hand brewing company. It's, it's more like a 15 mile commute to the brewers association office. All right. So there's, so there's, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're saving gas money, which is important these days as well. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, had you worked in a professional brewery before left hand? No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So did you walk in, did you do the, like the, the, the early grunt stuff? Were you washing kegs and hanging out in the cellar and doing all of the, all of the things that new brewers do? Uh, no, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't do any packaging. Uh, I left hand, all of our brewers do both cellar work and, and, um, work the brew deck. So yeah, I started out, uh, as a, as a brewer, uh, very much a newbie. So I, I quickly figured out that I needed to uh, print out all the SOPs and I was taking them home and studying them off the clock because I knew just how far behind I was all of the other brewers. Uh, it, it, it was definitely a, a, a very steep learning curve. I, I mean, when you say far behind, like how, like, can you qualify that of just how far behind you thought you were or were in reality? Yeah. I mean, uh, when I started, we had several other, we had a, we had a handful of other brewers that, that were starting had either had just started or started, uh, right around the same time that I did, but none of them, uh, had never worked in a brewery before. So like they all at least knew how to use a tri-clamp and I mean, I, I do have tri-clamps on my homebrew system, but they're a little I, bit different. I, from... I, it's, it's a little different when you actually have a one and a half inch or two inch hose on the, uh, that you're having to clamp onto something. Uh, so for me, like I was starting at the very bottom level, having to, having to learn all these little things that, that your average homebrewer wouldn't even be thinking about. Yeah. What, if you don't mind me asking, what appealed to you to try to go and work for a professional brewery after, you know, a career in homebrewing and events and administration and outreach and activism? Uh, well, I, I was very adamant that I wanted to stay in the, the brewing industry and try and figure out how I could do that. And I thought about lots of different pathways that I could have taken. I'm, I mean, I probably could have gotten a sales job or, um, maybe a marketing job, but those things didn't really appeal to me all that much. And, uh, I, I, I do love the brewing process and I have a lot of knowledge that I can bring to the table. And so I figured, you know, this is my one opportunity to, to give this a chance and see if it's something that I, I really would be interested in doing. Cause I wasn't positive about that. And I, I knew enough about uh, about commercial brewing to to know what I was getting in getting myself into in a in a you know top fifty packaging craft brewery and I, I knew I wasn't going to instantly have creative control and that I was mostly going to be just making the same beer over and over again. I understood all that, so I, I think that helped me in the interview process. Uh, you didn't walk in being like, you know, well, I'm going to make you a brown ale from malt extract and yeah. <laughs> we're going to change the whole scope of this place. Nobody wants stout anymore. Everybody wants old school brown ales. Uh, yeah, that was not my approach. to the interview. <laughs> well, the lack of swagger works out. That's probably why I didn't get the job. Um, <laughs> but it, it strikes me as I mean, really cool. One, how how short the commute is, um, but two, going to a top fifty brewery right out the gate, you know, because I mean, Colorado has no shortage of small breweries, and I'm sure any one of them would have been, you know, glad to have you. Um, but 
that learning curve that you were talking about, how is stressful the right word or intense has almost these, these last two years been for you uh, since th- you got there? I think intense is a really good word for that. Um, yeah. When I, the way I've tried to explain it to people, uh, we had a, we have a six month training program for new brewers. And like I said, most of the brewers are, that are coming here are either had previous professional brewing experience, or at least were uh, working in a cellar at another packaging brewery. Uh, so for, for me to come in with, with really just the, the home brewing background and, but also my background is a, is a beer judge and all of the, the knowledge that I had on the industry from working for the brewers association for 20 years, uh, I utilized all of that knowledge, but that was like probably like 2% of what I needed to know. And so it's all those other things that we do at a, in a commercial brewery. Like how do you, how do you CIP a tank and how do you, how do you sanitize things? How do you purge those things? How do how do you set up, uh, to run a centrifuge or a pasteurizer yeah, All of not, these, not things. a lot of those things in the garage or in the back shed. At, Ex- at home exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So little of what we do on a day-to-day basis is done by homebrewers, but I had to know all of those things that I did know as a homebrewer. So it was, it was very, it was a very steep learning curve, but I was, and I knew I was kind of behind where, where the other brewers that were starting up around the time I did were. And so I, I dedicated myself to to taking my own personal time and making sure that I I could do it and I learned it and I was able to to get my my certifications in a in a time frame similar to those other brewers. So uh, yeah, I, I I really I put a lot of effort into it. Yeah, to to make that work because I really did want to want to make it work and 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 I also found out very quickly that I I really did enjoy the work. And it's hard work. <laughs> I, I was I was going to ask, you know, in the same way that when you started homebrewing, you know, you gravitated towards certain processes, and you know, you wanted to expand your 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 horizons in certain ways. Were there, I don't know, processes or equipment or facets of this new job that you found yourself really drawn to in a know, creative or intellectual pursuit kind of way? Uh, yeah, strangely, um, one of, one of my favorite things is, is putting together, uh, what we call loops throughout the brew house. We have, uh, we, we have two different cellar locations within the, our brewery. So we have an indoor cellar, which has, uh, 60 barrel tanks and 180 barrel tanks, and then an outdoor cellar, which has our 480 barrel tanks. And we have a centrifuge that's nearer to the outdoor cellar. So we have we um, we centrifuge almost everything that we that we brew. So we have a process of putting together these centrifuge runs, and you can do multiple centrifuge runs back to back, and they can be going from the indoor cellar or the outdoor cellar, and it could be going to any tanks and anywhere throughout the brewery. And so, one of my favorite things is when I walk into the brewery and I have to set up a, a like five different spins and they're coming from all different places and figuring out how to, how to work with all the hard pipes and the, and the hoses and how I'm going to set all of that up. It's kind of like a puzzle. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's one I'm, of the I'm weird things. Like that... the old Microsoft screensaver of the, the, the pipes back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fun challenge. Yes. Yeah, so like that. a completely different challenge than I had in my days, like working, working at a desk at the Brewers Association, or as dealing with events and those kinds of things. So it's just a, a very completely different. Yeah. Well, all of the studying, all of the hard work, all of the hours, and the intensity paid off because obviously earlier this summer they named you head brewer of Left Hand Brewing Company, which is. I think that that's a really cool job title for a really cool brewery. It's a, it's a cool job title. It's a pretty daunting task for 
given my level of experience. The brewery is known for, well, actually, let me, let me back up. What are the responsibilities of head brewer at Left Hand Brewing Company? Uh, well, What's I'm, on the job description? Well, I've probably got it sitting on my desk here somewhere. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, what I spend most of my day doing is scheduling. So uh, scheduling out when we brew things and then what processes have to happen to them. So different beers have different processes. So, you know, I mentioned centrifuge, pasteurizer. Uh, are we dry hopping? Uh, one of our our fastest growing beers right now is a peanut butter milk stout. And so that has an, an extra step of adding, adding peanut butter flavoring and peanut powder to the to that brew. Um, so making sure that I, I have tanks to brew into. Sure. Sure. I have tanks that I can then move the, those beers into and have processes that are, are, that we can get done with the staff of brewers that we have on a particular day. Um, that is where I spend the vast majority of my time. So it's creating a loop, but on paper. Yeah. Or, or, you know, yes, it is another, software. it's a, it's a, it's a different form of puzzle, okay. but that's exactly what it is. And so I, I like it for that. More in just a moment, but first, thanks to the companies that help keep us on the air. If you'd like to help out the show as well, you can reach out to sponsor at beeredge.com. And today's episode is sponsored by Harpoon Brewery. Did you know that Harpoon IPA is New England's original IPA? Brewed in Boston and Vermont for decades by their employee owners. Hoppy, crisp, and perfectly balanced. Harpoon IPA, New England's original IPA. Visit harpoonbrewery.com to learn more. And now, back to the conversation. I'm, I feel like I might be painting with a broad brush here, and I'm doing it on purpose. But when you have to schedule beers, I imagine that it's, okay, it's Tuesday, got to brew stout again. Uh, it, no, it doesn't actually work that way. <laughs> I feel like anytime you guys have to brew, it's okay. Get ready to brew stout. Now we, we do. Okay. So 60% of what we brew is milk stout. So yes, okay. we're, we're brewing an awful lot of, we brew far more milk stout than any other brand. Uh, but what we're brewing is, uh, is really cyclical depending on the season. So, um, like right now. It's hot out, so we don't sell nearly as much milk stout as we do during the fall and winter and spring months. Mm -hmm. uh, so right now we're probably not brewing as much milk stout, although we are we are starting to ramp up our our milk stout production for the sure. fall because October is right around the corner. Yeah, right. Uh, we we do have a, a logistics department, so our head of logistics he's looking at he's working with our sales team and figuring out what what we're going to need order wise to, you know, to get beer to distributors, uh, when they need it and backing that out and planning when we're going to need to, to start brewing things, knowing when each beer estimating how, how long each beer is going to take from when we brew it to when we can package it. Yeah. So I'm using that information and it, he's, and then figuring out how I fit it in to our work week and how we're going to, how we execute that. And do we have tanks to put stuff in? <laughs> it keeps coming back to, do we have tanks? It's that is a seriously big challenge. Cause if you underestimate how long something takes to ferment and you already yeah. planned out another brew and you can't put it in there, you can't just, grew into nothing so that so yeah sorry go ahead yeah that's a that that's just a a, a fun challenge to figure out like and we're, we're constantly and it's it's never quite right so i'm constantly juggling things around and moving things around to to other tanks that i hadn't anticipated on and so yeah it's yeah. a it's 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 constantly evolving Has the brewery, so the other 40% is mixed up of other things that are not milk stout um, in the portfolio. And is there a, a challenge 
to reminding people of other beers aside from nitro milk stout or not just being, oh, hey, we're that nitro brewery or hey, we're that stout brewery or hey, we're that nitro stout brewery. Um, it, is that something that you know you all have conversations about or is it, hey, this is what works and this is what people are excited about? And I, I, I imagine people are, you know, that work there are proud as hell of that of that brand and they should be. But um, do you try to have conversations about some of the other beers? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I would say that if, if you look at, at our tasting room and see our employees having their shifties, almost never will you see them have a milk stout in front of them. Really? One, one, because we, we're all so familiar with that beer. Mm-hmm. Most of us are also on a, on a, a tasting panel. So we, we have everything, everything has to go through, through panel before it gets released to, from bright tank and as well as from packaging. Uh, so we taste it all the time, every day. Uh, uh, but there's a lot of beers that, that we make that are, that are frankly more interesting. I love milk stout every time I try it. I'm like, this is an amazing beer, but it's not what I, I choose to drink every day. What and, do you choose? Um, I, ha- I have a few favorites. Um, I, I honestly really love our Porter death before disco, uh, sawtooth, our, our original flagship beer. Yeah. That was the Amber Ale, right? Yeah. 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 It's a, uh, we call it an ESB. It's, it's probably kind of like a, you know, I would say somewhat similar to a, a special bitter, but okay. it, it's, it's really its own thing. Uh, and uh, I, I really like our, our St. Vrain, our triple. I can't drink a lot of it, but no. it, it tastes absolutely delicious. I love it. Can I've been noticing, you know, triples are getting a little bit more attention these days. And, and that went year round for you guys last year, I think, if I'm remembering yes. my news releases correctly. Um, wh- where does that fit in? to to the portfolio overall i don't know if you can talk to this but like it's you know like where is the interest coming from for triples i i honestly don't know beyond my own personal love for belgian styles and if if i had my way we would be brewing a lot more of them because that is that is what i personally i personally i love brewing brewing uh belgians and i love brewing brewing lagers yeah and we do both of those things so that's that's a good thing for me yeah um as i'm scrolling through the the website now as as we're talking i just dialed it up um i'm seeing that there's a nitro uh mix pack and there's a whole bunch of uh there's you know imperial stouts there's a there's a a blonde ale uh, there's all sorts of things that all get the nitro treatment. Um, is that, is, is nitro the word that most people use to describe you or when talking about you, like, yeah. are you guys the nitro brewery? Yes. How does that factor into your logistics when you're, when you're brewing? Like, does that, does that complicate it more than it might for some other breweries? Um, or is it just so ingrained on the process now that it's just the natural step that everybody knows? Uh, well, it's uh, it definitely complicates things because um, it is a really real challenge to to come up with new beers that work on nitro. I, stout is kind of an obvious one. It does work really well with stouts, but getting beyond uh, dark roasty beers with uh, with nitro, and once you get it into a package and um, that experience of pouring it into a glass, it's, it's really hard to, to nail down things that work. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, no, I remember I think- writing about it years ago when uh, after you guys perfected it and uh, there's a big push. I think Guinness tried a whole bunch. Sam Adams tried a bunch uh, of different styles and everybody's coming out with nitro IPAs and they were just you know that's yep. about as nice as i can be yeah that's about as nice as i can be about them but i imagine that you guys like 
what is it about those beers that nitro just doesn't doesn't work from like from your professional standpoint well i i think just isn't appealing you have to understand that carbon dioxide is an ingredient it it changes the flavor of the beer you uh you're adding carbonic acid and when you take that away it just it does not taste the same it doesn't have that that brightness and and also just the the experience of the the bubbles on your tongue uh it i think it's really important with something that's that's bitter and and hoppy to have the that co2 that goes with it and when you take that away it's you're taking away a really important ingredient. And so I, I don't think IPAs work particularly well on, on nitro. I have yet to have one that I thought was great. And I know yeah. left hand is, has dabbled in it in the past. And I don't think we've ever found something that, that really worked. I'm not, I would never, never say never. If <laughs> yeah, we've there, learned, don't do that in the, there, in the beer there, world. Yeah. There's probably, there's probably a way to do it and hopefully we will figure it out because that would be fantastic if, if I came up yeah. with a with a nitro IPA that blew people's minds. Is I, I feel, you know, I was asking about the questions that you used to get when you were at AHA, but I, when it comes to nitrogenated beers, uh, bottle, can, or keg, do you get that question a lot? Uh, all of the above. Okay. Do you, do you think that there is a difference between the three packages? Uh, I, I do think that there, yes, there, yes. The, the simple answer is yes. Okay. Um, I, I personally like the, um, uh, like the nitro pour from, uh, from draft. Yeah. Uh, but I, I also really love pouring out of a bottle because our, our method of pouring from a, from a nitro bottle is you you turn the turn the bottle all the way upside down and pour it directly into the bottom of the glass. Oh, that's right. You guys have the vigorous pour yes, instructions on your bottles. Yeah, scary as hell the first time you do it, but it works. And <laughs> as long as your glass is big enough, yeah. I, and then it becomes like the the ultimate party trick. Like you, you, you do that at a, at a party, people will stop and look at you like you're doing something totally nuts and waiting for the mess you're going to make. And then you don't make a mess and it looks really cool. There is a theater behind nitro. And I mean, that's always been, been a part of it and, you know, a big thing for Guinness and uh, you know, other, other larger brands that, that, that have gotten into it. But when you're sitting around the tap room now, um, you know, I'm hoping it's open again and that there's people that are in there, but if you're seeing, um, you know, fans come in or, or regulars come in. Is there still that wide-eyed wonder when the poor shows up in front of people? I think so. And I, I, I certainly hope so. I, yeah. I'm going to, we, have we start, haven't gotten so cynical in here. That it's, that it's, yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I, you know, I, you know, things become sort of, you know, passe after a while and, and you guys have, have helped to sort of normalize this, but I'm, I'm hoping that it's not, you know, lost that, that appeal. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's not passe for me. I, I love watching that cascade in the glass. I, I, I think it's really, really cool. I, you, and you, you can't get that without nitro. So. Yeah. That's as you continue to get your boot wets, uh, your boot boots wet in this job. Um, are you thinking about, you know, beers that you'd love to be able to bring to people, you know, beers that you'd like to write recipes for and, 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 and get out into the world. And, and if so, what kind of brown ale is it? <laughs> uh, well, probably not brown ale <laughs> on the top of my list. Um, but I, 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 I'm really excited for a pilot we've got a i i mentioned that i really like uh like belgians we have a a pilot uh that's fermenting right now it's a belgian wit that we're going to going to test on nitro that i'm super excited about uh and that's that's my recipe so okay i i, I didn't get to brew it but uh 
but that happens more frequently these days, but at least I can still write some of the recipes. So oh. that, that's definitely something I'm, I'm excited about. And, uh, we have, we have several others that, uh, we're starting to, to play with and we are doing, um, we're, we, we're opening a, a new, uh, tasting room in Denver. Okay. Uh, so we're also looking to experiment. Don't you guys already with- have one in Denver? We do not. We had a project that uh, that had to be put on hold. Oh, that's right. You guys were going into the 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 the, the wine brewery. Yes, um, uh, Liberati. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, wow. but that got, that is yeah. good memory. It's, <laughs> it's weird the things that get tucked away in the back of my brain, but then you know somebody will ask me what I had for breakfast, and I'll just sort of stare at them blankly. So. Um, that's right. You guys were going to do that in the early part of, of the pandemic and then. Okay. So you're going into a new spot in Denver now. Yes. Yes. And that's going to open in September. So we're, we're kind of ramping up for that and looking to be doing a lot, a lot more IPAs for the tasting rooms. And we also have a beer garden that we just opened up uh, on the, on the brewery property in Longmont. So we have, a lot more spaces for people to come and uh, directly enjoy left-hand beer. And we'll have to provide a lot of beer for that. It's a good problem. Yeah. Yeah. When you're a brewery that's known for stout and nitro stout, um, are there IPAs that you have to make? do, do, Do the other recipes or the other styles have to sort of fit into a, Oh, that's a left-hand beer or can you be creative? Can you get out of comfort zones? Can you have people have one of your beers and not think of, Oh, that's just the stout brewery. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I hope, yeah. I hope that we, we do that. And yeah, so we're, we're, we're definitely trying to make the best beer we can make with every, every beer we, every beer we brew. That said, we, we have, we went for a long time as a brewery without having an IPA. Uh, so we didn't have a whole lot of experience at the time that we started brewing those and, and uh, didn't necessarily have the, the expertise or the, you know, necessarily the ideal equipment. Um, I feel like we're in a much better place for that now. And I, I'm really proud of the IPA that we make uh, as well as our, our wook bait. We do a, a hazy, IPA it's it's more like a hazy pale ale but you know IPA sells so we put IPA yeah. on the on the, the label yeah, it, yeah. Uh, but that beer is great and uh right now we've got a a double IPA that's in the fermenter and okay. uh, like I said we've got we've got several IPAs that that we're working on and we've done some we've done a lot of IPAs as collabs with the uh, with other breweries in the area and that's got to be fun for you guys, right? Because if you show up for a collaboration and they're like, "Oh yeah, let's make a stout," and like, ah, we've done that. Let's, you know, what do you have in the IPA world? I imagine that there's got to be some of those conversations. Oh least. yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely fun for us. Like, I, no matter what we're brewing when we're doing collabs, it's uh, that it's always a lot of fun to get together with other brewers and and uh, hear a little bit about their their experiences. So, uh, we we did a, a collaboration with a, with a, a brewery that hasn't started brewing yet uh, in in Lyons Main Stage, um, actually founded by by a former left hand employee and a former head brewer at Upslope who used to be my intern back at the HA, uh, and getting to brew with somebody like, like Sam Scrooby from from Upslope, uh, he had a ton of experience brewing hazy IPAs. And so it was a really great experience for us to get to get to brew with him and, and learn a bit from what, what he had had experience with. Oh, that's cool. I've been asking folks on the show uh, who have come on, I think it's probably early on in the pandemic. Um, but the premise is uh, my wife and I were rewatching the show, the good place. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but um, there's a, a premise on the show of being able to walk through a green door and you can be anywhere you want with anybody that you want at any point in time. And so if such a door was on our plane of existence 
and this conversation ends and you could walk through it and you could be at any brewery or any bar anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you want to be drinking? Oh my God. (laughs) Um, I guess I would say I would, I would love to be able to have, have that door and walk, walk through that door and be drinking whatever happens to be available at Russian river with Vinny and Natalie Chalurzo, uh, because I love what they do. I love them as people and their brewery is amazing. Do you think that they could put a uh, on nitro and make it work? No. <laughs> But if anybody could, it would be. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. Let's get in the cans first, and then we'll uh, we'll shoot for nitro afterwards. Um, Gary, thanks for thanks for taking the time. Thanks for 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 doing this, and I'm I'm just I'm I'm thrilled for you. It it, it sounds like you're happy. Uh, it's uh, the brewery is lucky to have you, and. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you in person for pints at some point soon. I hope I am too. Thank you so much, John. This has been a lot of fun and uh, it's great catching up with you too. It's been, it's been a while. And now I want a stout and a triple and some lagers and maybe some sours. And I don't know. What about you? If you have those, there are some recipes that you can pair with them in the craft brewery cookbook. It's on sale now wherever books are sold. So get a copy today. A reminder that All About Beer is back online. Go to allaboutbeer.com to catch up with great content. And you can keep in touch with me if you have questions, comments, guest suggestions. Email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com. Or you can get with me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. A reminder to check out beeredge.com for This Week in Rauk Beer and Defend Pilsner merch. And you can follow along on social media at The Beer Edge. And of course, This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at TW Rauk Beer. We're able to bring you the show each week thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you'd like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to sponsor at beeredge.com. Speaking of that, today's episode is sponsored by the Harpoon Brewery. Did you know that Harpoon IPA is New England's original IPA? Brewed in Boston and Vermont for decades by their employee owners. It's hoppy, crisp, and perfectly balanced. Harpoon IPA, New England's original IPA. Visit harpoonbrewery.com to learn more. All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And a reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. As for this show, Nate Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>